All right, so Mark chapter 16, and I want you to notice right off in verse 1, it says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Now, we're going to get sidetracked a little bit here for a little bit from talking about the resurrection and the theme of Mark chapter 16. And I want to point out something that I've, I've mentioned some of this, but uh, this is something I've been following as we've been going through this. And I'm going to show you a timeline of that final week of Jesus's time here uh, and his and his life and his death and show you, according to the book of Mark, what day of the week Jesus died, because we've got the great, you know, Good Friday debate versus Thursday or Wednesday. And we all like to fight about that. But let's go and let's see what Mark says, because Mark actually gives us a pretty clear timeline. And you might be kind of surprised what we're going to see here in the Gospel of Mark. I know I was surprised when I noticed this. So let's go ahead and starting in Mark chapter 11, obviously we're not going to read Mark 11 through 16, but let's hit a few highlights and I want you to follow along and pay attention to what's going on, okay? Because I know what your objection is going to be and... All right, I've, you know, don't worry, I'll cover that as, as y'all are freaking out. Okay, so listen up. Mark 11, verse 11 says, And Jesus entered in Jerusalem and went to the temple, and when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. Now, this is during that famous Palm Sunday where he comes riding in on a colt and full of an ass, uh, the fulfillment of Zechariah 9 9. That was on Sunday. He goes in. He leaves in the evening, so this would be Sunday evening, Jesus is in Bethany. In verse 12, it says, and on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungered. So this would be Monday. It's Monday now, and Jesus is hungry. In verse 15, it says, and they come to Jerusalem. He's coming back to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. So it's still Monday. In verse 19, And when even was come, so Monday evening, he went out of the city. Verse 20, And in the morning, okay, Tuesday morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So that's on Tuesday morning. Verse 27, and they come again to Jerusalem as he was walking in the temple. There come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So it's still Tuesday. And it's still Tuesday for the entire chapter 12. And so then when we, and that's where he's given a lot of parables and things. When you get into Mark 13, the, which is the Olivet Discourse, it would still be Tuesday as they are leaving the temple, but no timeline is really given in Mark chapter 13. But, we're probably, Tuesday is winding down. It's probably coming on to Tuesday evening at this point. So then when we are in chapter 14, in chapter 14, and we've been in Tuesday for the last two chapters, he says, after two days, okay? So after two days from this time on Tuesday when all these things have been taking place and all these stories have taken place. So two days from Tuesday, was the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread. So that would be Thursday, correct? That's when the Feast of Unleavened Bread is. And the chief priests and scribes saw how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there should be an uproar of the people. So they're not wanting to take Jesus and arrest him on a feast day because 
we're going to have an uproar. So, uh, this is basically saying in two days, it was going to be the Feast of the Passover. So, meaning two days from Tuesday. So, Thursday would be the Passover. Alright? So, verse 12 says, And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? So, now we're at that two days later. We're at the Passover. It's Thursday. And so, it says in verse 16, And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he said unto them, and they made ready the Passover, and in the evening he cometh with the twelve. So it's Thursday evening. Verse 27, And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended me because of this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. So all that takes place on Thursday night when they come and they arrest Jesus and everything goes down where Peter denies Christ. So Friday morning, Mark, uh, it, uh, March, or, um, Mark chapter 15, or verse 1, and straightway in the morning, after that Thursday evening, after the Passover, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him into Pilate. So that's Friday morning. And it was the third hour and they crucified him. Now, the third hour would be nine o'clock our time. Six hour was usually considered the first hour. That was kind of the beginning of the day. So about nine o'clock Friday, according to Mark, they would have crucified him. And when the sixth hour was come, that's noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So from noon to three, it's dark. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then in verse 42, and now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath. And everyone knows that Friday evening is when the Sabbath started. And so... It makes perfect sense with what we've seen in Mark. They want to get him down before the evening because it's the preparation for the Sabbath. That is Friday evening when they're trying to get him down. And so the, now what I have always said and what I've always thought, well, that's because it's referring to the Sabbath week because you've got the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and that whole thing takes a week. And so, you know, it could have fallen on a Wednesday and, but, and, you know, they, so they need to get him down before that whole process started but the problem is okay the problem is it couldn't have been talking about a sabbath week right there because first off it said it was the they need to get them down because it was the preparation of the sabbath i've always said that's referring to a sabbath week here's the problem with that when we get to chapter 16 in verse 1 it says and when the sabbath was passed so if it's referring to a Sabbath week that they had to get him down from in chapter 15. That means Jesus is in the tomb for a week. And we know that's not the case either. So, that had to be, Mark is referring to just a regular Sabbath there, not some special Sabbath, you know, because of the time of year that it was in. It is, it does appear to be referring to just the regular Sabbath. So, I say all this to say, According to the Gospel of Mark's timeline, I think we have to say Good Friday is probably correct. Okay, now I know what you're thinking. That's not three days and three nights. Okay, but you know, here's here's a couple things we need to consider, though. Okay, so first off, you know, while it's highly unlikely, it is possible 
we could be misunderstanding something in Mark chapter 14, verse 1, where it says, and after two days. Because again, the way we often speak of time and days, you know, isn't really the same as it is in the Bible, just like the whole third hour, sixth hour, and all that kind of thing. You know, there could be, I could be missing something there that's very possible, but it doesn't look like it based on just how things are clearly laid out in the Gospel of Mark. And so, um, you know, that Tuesday could have counted as a day as well as that Wednesday. And so, you know, it was actually Wednesday evening for the Passover, but that doesn't seem unlikely, but it is possible. Okay. So I'm not telling you it has to be this or the Bible's wrong. We could be reading something wrong there. It's just, but it's hard to say. But the only problem, again, though, is where it talks about the Sabbath in both places, um, is, you know, we, we could be off on what they consider the Sabbath, but either way you spin this, let's just say from here on out, I'm going to be a little less likely to be mean to Good Friday people. Okay? Because when you look at the Gospel of Mark, it looks like Good Friday, doesn't it? He said, and again, what about the, you know, Jesus said three days and three nights. Well, again, it was doing a comparison of Jonah who was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights. And so because it's, it's going to be like that doesn't mean it's going to be exactly the same. And the fact that if he was on there any part of Friday, any part of Saturday, any part of Sunday, maybe it counted that as three days and three days. I, I don't know. All I'm just showing you is what it says here in the Gospel of Mark. And when you look at what it says in the Gospel of Mark, you know what? I see why people say Friday. So, uh, you all want to go fight him? Go ahead. I'm going to leave him alone. And I don't know. I might, I might even join him. I still got some things I need to look at in the other Gospels that I kind of want to uh, check up on. But from looking at the Gospel of Mark, I, I think that looks pretty clear that it's Friday. So, uh, y'all can fire me from being pastor after that for compromising on that issue. Uh, if you want, uh, I'll let you have a vote on it after church. I'm, I'm just kidding. But anyway, uh, you know, just something we gotta admit. You know, hey, maybe, maybe we're seeing something wrong. So maybe I'm reading something wrong in there too, but I encourage you, go back and just read Mark 11 and just take notes and follow every mention of time in there. And it does seem pretty clear that it's on Friday. And, and again, I know it's not talking about a Sabbath week there when it said it was a preparation for the Sabbath because, again, he wasn't in the tomb for over a week. They wanted to get him down because of the preparation of the Sabbath. And then in Mark 16, when the Sabbath was ended. And so it does appear that it was just a normal, the normal weekly Sabbath. So uh, anyway, let's go on in verse 2. It says, And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher, at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here Behold the place where they laid him. And again, over and over again in the book of Mark, we see how Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. And yet, when that time came, and Jesus said, after three days, I'm going to rise again. And notice too, Jesus often would say, on the third day, I'm going to rise again too. 
So if he dies on Friday, that's the first day. Dies on Saturday, that's the second day. Sunday's the third day. Isn't it? That's one way you could say it. And doesn't have to necessarily be 72 hours. But uh, I'm going to just go fight, find somebody to fight with on that issue too. Just, just because I know somebody will. And I'm always ready to throw down about anything. But, uh, but anyway... Uh, so, you know, but one thing I want to point out about this too, and this is just something, uh, you know, I'm speculating here. This is opinion, but it is interesting how in the Bible, when things of major significance took place, you often see angels. For example, you know, at the birth of Christ, we see angels showing up. We see a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. You know, what was the point of angels showing up at that event? You know, was it, what was the significance of it? Was it because somebody needed to be praising God during that time on earth since earth did not know what was going on? Because think about it. The world did not know what was going on the night Jesus was born. You had the wise men that were, you know, looking for him, but we don't, you know, they probably didn't get there until later. We, uh, you know, Mary and Joseph knew what was going on. But Bethlehem had no idea what was going on. The masses did not know what was going on, that this was a major event that was taking place, something of major significance, and yet just nothing's happened. So it's, and you remember too, on Palm Sunday, when Jesus came in and the Pharisees are telling Jesus, you know, rebuke these people for the way they're praising you. And Jesus said, if these should hold their peace, you know, the rocks would begin to cry out. And it's almost like when things of just major significance are taking place, it's like somebody has to be there to let the world know what's going on, to testify of what's taking place. And since there were no people at, you know, at Jesus' birth to do this, the angels had to show up and do it. So we would know about it. Because angels too, they're often messengers and they're, they're getting this word, word, you know, to the shepherds and, you know, and then those shepherds told people about it. Now it's in our scriptures and we still talk about it to this day. Same thing too at the resurrection. The only people that were there for the resurrection, the only people that had enough faith to believe what Jesus had to say in any way was, you know, Herod and them. That's why they wanted to have those soldiers there to guard the body. Now they, they thought something, you know, the disciples might come steal them. But I sometimes think they were a little nervous he might come back to life too. But the truth is, nobody was there but the, but the guards and then those guys just passed out like dead men just laid there like a slug. That's what they ended up doing. But the, we noticed though, when these women came here, they came to just anoint the body to take care of the body. They didn't come expecting to find them living. But when they showed up, sure enough, there were angels there. Why? Because this is major what was going on. This is the biggest event in human history. There's no doubt about that. This is the most important event in human history. And I'm sure I can get some Baptists that will fight with me on that. Nope, the cross was more important. Well, alright. Hey, we think the cross is important too. But you know what? If Jesus dies and He stays dead, we're in trouble. Jesus could have died on the cross. And I know He said it is finished. But if he just, you know, according to you, that was all he had to do, and apparently he could have stayed dead too. But listen, if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, no hope. Okay? No hope. There's no hope for us if he doesn't rise from the dead. His resurrection proved that we will rise from the dead one of these days. And so, uh, this was this was a major thing, and I think that's the main reason these angels are there. I think they were there to make sure somebody knows what's going on. But two, they did. They just happened to be where major 
major things are taking place. And if you ever run into a real angel and they're in, you know, and it's one too, you know, it's an angel. They're in a shining garment. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you that that'll never happen. I'm not going to tell you that. You know, I I think it's very possible. But here's what I do believe: if you ever do come face to face with a bona fide angel where you actually know it's one, you know it's one. There's probably something of major significance taking place at that time. And who knows? When tribulation stuff starts going down and Bible prophecy is being fulfilled, we might see some of this stuff again. You know, who knows? You know, I'm speculating, but you know, the first guy that gets his head cut off, you know, because he won't take the mark of the beast, I think that's going to be a pretty major moment, prophetically speaking. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if I were lucky enough or you were lucky enough to be the first one to get whacked for that cause. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe you see one standing there. You know, especially in case two, Christians act like I'm afraid they're going to act and they clam up when that kind of thing starts happening. And they're not out there preaching and proclaiming what's taking place. I wouldn't be surprised if there's an angel side. I mean, we're, we know when God's wrath is being poured out and a lot of those things are going on, there's going to be angels flying through the world during that time. Whoa, whoa, whoa to the inhabitants of the earth and all. And so, um, you know, if, if you ever do, if you ever find yourself right smack in the middle of a Bible prophecy and a major a biblical event, you might just run into an angel. So, uh, you know, keep, just keep that in mind. And I, so I don't know if that's going to happen, but I hope it does. I think that would be pretty cool. But anyway, verse seven says, but go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And I like how the angel here, he puts the emphasis on Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Why didn't he just say go tell the disciples? Wasn't Peter a disciple? But yet the angel specifies, tell the disciples and Peter. And I personally think he was doing this too because Peter probably knew he needed to be specified because he probably figured he was done after what he did denying Christ three times the way he did. We know from one of the other accounts that after Peter had denied Jesus for that third time and he hears the cock crow, we see that Jesus makes eye contact with him. And Peter did. He gets convicted. He went out and he wept bitterly. And he, in his mind, he's probably thought, I'm done. And so, whenever, you know, they, the women, they come and they're telling the disciples, Jesus is risen. I imagine Peter, you know, would probably be thinking, well, you know, the rest of you guys can go. He's not going to want to see me. You know, and I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us what he said. Uh, we do know he would have been the first one to get there if John didn't outrun him. But at the same time, uh, you know, maybe Peter doubted, but then the women were saying, no, the angel specifically said you, Peter. The angel specifically said you too. And I like that too because it's just a reminder that God doesn't just give up on us when we mess up. And we can mess up pretty bad, and yet God's still going to include us. No matter, even, even when we let him down, in a big way. And think about this too. When Peter denied Jesus Christ, understand, Jesus is on trial. He's being beaten. And people throughout this, we see this in the when we're reading about the arrest of Christ, people are testifying against Christ. People are lying about Him. And wouldn't it be helpful when something like that's going on if a witness can come up and say, hey, um, I was one of His disciples. That's not true. I was there. 
But you know what? Peter tried to save his own skin. You know, because remember that, you know, that naked guy that, you know, they even went after. When he just came outside to see what was going on, they thought, some, you know, he's probably one of his disciples and they grab hold on him. He leaves the sheet and takes off running. Okay, that's how, and so they, they were, they were going after people that were with Christ. And then Peter too, he probably would have got identified too. Hey, aren't you the one that took a swing and took off an ear of one of the soldiers? So Peter got scared. So, you know, he did, he let Jesus down in a big way. Of course, uh, it was his will to go to the cross, but, you know, at the same time, it was wrong for Peter to be a coward and to deny Jesus the way he did. So, but, uh, Jesus was not done with him. He still accepted him. And I think that should encourage all of us. And so it says in verse eight, and they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. So, says they trembled here. They were excited and they, or they were amazed and they trembled. And I think, you know, what's going on here is because they're excited about the news, but at the same time too, they're thinking nobody's going to believe us. Nobody's going to believe us when we tell them this. And so it says in verse nine, now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had cast out seven devils. Okay. Now I want to, point something out to you. Turn over to John chapter 20. because I This is interesting here and I don't want to do weird speculation here, but at the same time, I think these things are worth noting. So, uh, Jesus first appears to Mary and at first she doesn't recognize Him. Okay? And it says in John chapter 20 verse 11, and Mary stood without at the sepulcher saying, or weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and see a two angels in white sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus and Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener saith unto him, Sir, if thou, thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that He had spoken these things to her. So notice how at first, when she sees Him, she doesn't even recognize Him. It's not until He says her name and then she realizes who He is. She thought He uh, might be a gardener. Uh, gardener. Um, but then, uh, look at verse, back in Mark 16, verse 10. It says that when she went and told them they had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had seen of her, believed not. And again, this is sad considering all the times Jesus told them this was going to happen. So verse 12, after that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And so based on this, it does appear that Jesus and his resurrected state, you know, looked different than he did before. Okay, and 
Again, remember Mary didn't recognize him. Maybe Mary didn't recognize him because, you know, this is early in the morning and it's sunrise and maybe the sun's behind him and she's just seeing a silhouette or something and doesn't recognize him until she hears his voice. But at the same time, though, we do see also in Mark, it talks about how he sees, uh, he sees some and he, he's in another form. Okay, and look at Luke chapter 24, because Luke chapter 24, it gives us more detail on what was going on here. Luke 24 and verse 13 says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one another as ye walk and are sad? So notice, and again, Jesus may have looked exactly the same, but it's almost as if, so either Jesus is literally changing form or he is just revealing himself in different forms. And it's not until like people believe him that he makes himself known to them. And he's Jesus, he has the ability to do something like that. Okay? I don't I don't think we need to go around teaching Jesus was just going around and like morphing into other figures and things like that. Again, he could have just been uh you know making himself appear that way to other people too. We do see him uh, also, after he resurrected too, entering into a room without opening a door. Okay, Again, Jesus is in a resurrected state at this point. I personally think the condition that he is in is the condition that we will be in during the millennial reign when we have a body that's like Christ. And I think that's one of the reasons too, one of the main things Jesus did to identify himself was he show, showed you know, the holes that he had in his hands and in his side. These were, I think, meant to be an identifier too because, again, I think he may have just completely looked different uh, in this resurrected state. Uh, but at the same time, people eventually were able to tell who he is. I don't think we need to go teaching weird stuff on this, but it is worth noting that uh, not everybody could recognize Jesus until he was pretty much ready for him to. So let's go ahead and keep reading a little bit of this. So in Luke 24, and so it says, uh, and verse 17, and he said unto them, what manner of communication are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass in these days? And he said unto them, what things? And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. So, again, this kind of, that makes it kind of look like Friday. This is the third day since these things happened. When did it happen? Friday. Friday is a day. Saturday is a day. This is, it's now Sunday. This is the third day. So, if it would have happened on a Wednesday, you know, I don't think you'd count Thursday as the first day, Friday, Saturday. And if, if it's Sunday morning now, you're definitely on the fourth day for sure. Again, maybe Thursday. 
I, I tend to doubt it, but um, Thursday is definitely more likely than Wednesday. But still looks like Friday to me. But anyway, let's keep reading verse 22. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were at early at the sepulchres. And when they found out his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went into the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. And he said to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Always remember this verse anytime some rucktard wants to tell you that the death, burial, and resurrection is not in the Old Testament. When these men are walking along talking about this rumor that Jesus has risen from the dead, Jesus didn't, he didn't even say, you fools and slow of heart to believe all the things that I said to you. He said, you're slow of heart not to believe all the things that the prophets told. He said, he's telling them, you're a fool for not believing that Jesus rose from the dead because it was the prophets that told you that. So don't ever let anybody tell you, the death, burial, and resurrection is not in the Old Testament. Jesus would disagree. In fact, Jesus would tell you you're a fool if you don't believe that. You know what that tells me? Jesus would tell these so-called Jews who act like they believe the Old Testament but don't believe in Jesus, He would call them fools. Because they don't believe what the prophets spoke about. You know why? Because they don't believe Jesus Christ. So this is a good verse to underline right there. So it says, um, verse 26, Ought not Christ... To have suffered these things and entered into His glory. Isn't this what He was supposed to do? According to the Scriptures? And beginning... I mean, isn't that what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 where it talks about the Gospel? How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures? And that He was buried and that He rose again third day according to the Scriptures? You're going to have a tough time convincing me that the death, burial, and resurrection is not in the Old Testament. So, ought not Christ have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And beginning at Moses. That's Genesis through Deuteronomy. And all the prophets. He expounded unto them all in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Don't tell me that they weren't looking forward to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus preached about Himself from Moses through all the prophets. No doubt about that. And when, and they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went and made as though they would have, have gone further, but they constrained him saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass as he said it meet with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them and their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. Okay. So this is another reason too. I don't think Jesus was just morphing into different looks because notice how it says that their eyes were opened. So again, Jesus, I don't think He was going around changing forms so much, but He was being seen in different ways. And and so all of a sudden, at this point, after He broke bread and gave it to them, then they see Him and then He vanishes. Right? That's pretty impressive right there. Again, he's he's in that glorified state, and, and and he's just Jesus too. Okay, even if we can't do that in the millennium, either, and I hope we can. But at the same time, even if we can't, doesn't really matter. Jesus can't, and I think Jesus could have done it before he resurrected. 
if he wanted to. He, he can do whatever he wants. And so, and they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us? While he talked to us, by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. So, look, I love how they said it. Didn't our hearts burn within us? You know what? The, you know, you've got all these people out there that act like I got to have this scientific proof. I got to have concrete evidence in God. Listen, there is something that is in the heart of people. And when God speaks, you know what? You need to listen to that. And people who love light, they will come to the light so their deeds can be manifest. But there's just some, they love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And you know what? If that's going to be your attitude, if you're going to have a heart of unbelief, then God's just not going to reveal Himself to you. And at the end of the day, it's God that is, He, you know, he does. He reveals Himself to people. And this is kind of a scary thing too because have you ever just listened to somebody, you know, maybe some false prophet and they get up there and they just preach and they lie or they're just wrong but with such sincerity? And you know, you see that and it's like, I don't care how good you are at spotting the liars and things like that. I, I'm telling you right now, I think a lot of your false prophets out there, they could pass a lie detector test saying the things that they believe and that they teach. But you know what? It's because God's blinded these people. God has not revealed the truth. And here's what you need to understand. Ultimately, what reveals truth is God. It's the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit. He's the greatest teacher on earth. The Holy Spirit is the best teacher that there is. And you know what? He can, God can blind you to these things. And that's why some people just aren't seeing the truth. They've been blinded to it. It's not a matter of how smart you are, how intellectual you are. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals these things. And Jesus Christ, He was capable of walking with people who knew Him and yet they still didn't recognize Him until He was ready for them to recognize Him and then they did. And you know what? We always need to have that attitude and never get puffed up and get arrogant about what we think we know. Because you know what? If we're not right with God, God might be messing with us. And we need to just make sure we just rely on the Holy Spirit that we stay close to Him because He is the best teacher that there is. And so, uh, you know, Luke 24 so we see going on, these are people that, you know, they saw Jesus, but to them he was in another form. It wasn't until God revealed himself. So don't take, uh, passages from Mark chapter 16 and then, you know, talk about Jesus' morphing abilities and stuff like that. I just think that's, that's weird. Uh, again, it's just, it's how he reveals himself because he can do that. But anyway, verse 13 says, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believe they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So Jesus is getting on to them. He's upbraiding them. He's, he's letting them have it for not believing. And, and folks, again, thank God I am not God. And I'm not Jesus. Because after all the times I told them I'm going to rise again, if I found out that they weren't believe that they didn't believe these women. You know what? I think I'd have been like, you know what? Forget it. I know I rose again, but I'm not saving anybody. These people are too hard-hearted. They they have no faith. Forget these people. I, that's why I would I would have at least gotten me some new disciples. I'd be like, you know what? You guys failed. You abandoned me, Peter. You denied me three times. 
I'd have probably taken away their salvation and thrown them into hell. That's probably what I would have done. But again, I'm not Jesus. And you know what? It's, it's a good thing that He is not like us. And you know why people think you can lose your salvation? Because that's what they would do if they were God. But you know what? They're not God. And I'm, I'm thankful for it. But it is. It really does. It does amaze me. And, and we saw throughout the book of Mark how Jesus would marvel at their unbelief. And Jesus here, He's getting on to them for not believing. You know what that tells me? That tells me that God does not like it when people don't believe in the resurrection. People are supposed to believe in the resurrection. If somebody does not believe in the resurrection of Christ, they have a problem. That's their problem. There is no reason for people not to believe this story. And uh, we've got to make sure uh, we remember that. You know, And that's why it is. It's our job just to go tell people. It's not our job to make people believe, but it's our job to give them the message. And God always makes sure people get the message. After that, it's up to them. And so in verse 15, it says, he that, uh, or, And He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. What they had just experienced, the resurrection of Jesus, this is good news. And it's amazing that He commissions a group of people that He had to just get on to them for not believing the resurrection. He tells them, go tell everybody about the resurrection. I would have found somebody else. But you know what? Jesus told them and it worked. They got it done. Proof, we're here today, aren't we? We're still here today because of this. And so it says in verse 16, He that believeth, all right, the church of Christers and Pentecostals and all of them about to get excited, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. So, what do we do with this, this verse? And actually, there's several great thing, possibilities or several things we could do with this verse and none of them would mean you have to be baptized to be saved. There's absolutely no way to twist this verse into meaning that you have to be baptized in water to go to heaven. There, there's no way to twist the, this verse into doing that. But let's... Let me show you a few different ways you can look at this. So one way to look at it is when Jesus is saying, He that believeth and is baptized will be saved. Well, that is a true statement because if you believe and you are baptized and you get baptized, you are saved, aren't you? Is baptism going to take away your salvation? Of course not. So him saying that, you know, that is a true statement. And so if you believe and are baptized, then of course you're saved because baptism does not unsave you. But the question is though, why did he throw that in there? Why is that detail added in there? Okay. Well, I believe one of the main reasons we see it specified here is because notice this is the Great Commission, but it's kind of a, uh, a shortened version of it. But remember when Jesus originally commissioned those disciples to take the gospel to the whole world, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Did you know if the only thing people ever did was give the Gospel, eventually Christianity would have died out. Because after you get saved, you do need some training. You do need to be taught some things. You do need... And, and so that's why He told them to baptize. They were supposed to go out and they were supposed to establish churches. 
They were supposed to teach people the things of God. And throughout the New Testament, after the book of Acts, and we see this in Paul's epistles, that there was, there was that desire for the work to continue, to make sure that what they were doing, that it would go on until Jesus Christ returned. And sure enough, it has happened. And it's not from people just preaching the gospel. What keeps the, what keeps the things of God alive and going on forever is doing all of the Great Commission. It's, of course, getting people saved. And that is a very important thing. That is the first thing. But you don't, we, we can't just quit there as a church. We don't want to just be a soul winning group. We don't want to just be that. We want to be a church. And you know what we want to do? We want to go soul winning, but we also want to baptize, try to get our converts baptized. And then you know what? We want to try to get those converts involved in church and we want to teach them the things of God. Why? So they can carry those things on. So good doctrine will be, will continue being preserved and will go on. And so Jesus When he was given that commission, he's commissioning them to get people saved and baptized and to teach them, to teach them all things. So I think that's one of the reasons he's doing that. Um, but then also, I think he threw the baptism in there too, because this right here in the Gospel of Mark, he made sure he emphasized that because at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, notice what it says. In the very beginning, this book, this gospel, it starts out with the preaching of John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord. And it says in verse 7 or verse 8, John's preaching and he says, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So isn't it important if the book starts out telling you about Jesus Christ who's going to come and He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Not like the baptism that I'm doing with water. I'm baptizing you with water, but He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So shouldn't we be looking for that throughout this whole book? And you know what? We get to it at the very end. He starts off talking about the Holy Ghost baptism and it ends talking about the Holy Ghost baptism. And let me tell you something. You have to have the baptism of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And everybody gets that who believes. Water baptism is just a picture of that. It's a picture of what Jesus Christ did. It's not... the water. You know, I can baptize you with water like John baptized with people with water, but I can't baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Only Jesus can do that. And you know what the Bible tells us when we're saved? That we are sealed with the Holy, by the Holy, with the Holy Ghost. He seals us. He covers us. He protects us. And so I believe that's what this is talking about in Mark chapter 16. It's talking about the Holy Ghost baptism. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, it's at the same story during the same, the same event where Jesus is giving that great commission. It says in Acts 1 verse 4, and being assembled together with them and commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So Jesus told them. He brought up John's baptism and He mentions the Holy Ghost baptism and you know what He said? It's going to be coming not many days hence. And it came not long after this at the on the day of Pentecost. That's when that came. And that event that took place there, I believe that was when God empowered the church. And they received that gift of the Holy Ghost And now, 
all believers, all who are saved, have the Holy Ghost. Everyone, when they get saved, gets the Holy Ghost upon salvation. In the Old Testament, I do not believe they had the indwelling of the Holy Ghost like we do today. I believe, uh, I believe they still got saved the same way, but they didn't have that Holy Ghost indwelling them like we do today. And we don't all need an individual day of Pentecost for that to happen. That was just when God kind of kicked that thing off. All of us get the Holy Ghost right when we get saved. And then we've got them until, uh, and we'll have them forever. So, no matter which way you spin this verse, you know, a person can be saved without baptism. But in case somebody wants to be really stubborn, let's just look at it this way too, alright? What if I, so, if I said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and get baptized and go to church and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you'll be saved. I mean, isn't that technically true? Because if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be saved no matter what you do after that. You can do all the things in the world after that and you're still going to be saved. But if after that I went on and I said, but he that believeth not and is not baptized and does not go to church, and does not eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, shall be damned. But no, I said all that, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And isn't that what Jesus did? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not, and he didn't say, and is not baptized, shall be damned. So again, there's no way to make that passage teach that you have to be baptized to go to heaven. The only way you can make it do that is if you isolate that one verse. And just ignore context, ignore the entire book of Mark, and just ignore the rest of the Bible. There's there's no way to do that. So, uh, verse 17, And these signs shall follow them that believe in My name. Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up servants. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And you know what? We see these things take place in the book of Acts. We see where the Apostle Paul got bit by a viper and he shook it off into the fire. But you know what we don't see in the book of Acts? We don't see the Christians going out acting like a bunch of crazy Pentecostals and tempting God. We don't see the Apostle Paul going around handling a snake saying, look, I've got faith, people. No. When a situation arose where he got bit by a snake, and the Lord needed him to witness to some barbarians and didn't need him dying, you know what? God protected him. And it, and it didn't kill him. That was a miracle that God did. Paul wasn't tempting God when that took place. They didn't go around doing these things for a show like people do today. They weren't putting a sign up and saying, you know, come watch this person get bit by a snake or come watch this person do something. No. When the situation arose, when these things were needed... It was there for him. But we do not go tempting God. And the fact that you know you have religions out there that try doing this just shows they do not know the Bible. It was the devil that tried to get Jesus to do something stupid. And then he quoted a Bible verse about how you know the angels will bear thee up if thou dash thy foot against the stone. But you know what? That's not you know, God doesn't put these verses about his protection in the Bible so we can go do dumb stuff. He puts those in there to comfort us in case something does happen to us. So we're not sitting around just worrying about all the things that could be. So don't ever let a Pentecostal take these verses and then, you know, encourage you to go do something deadly or stupid. 
That, that, that is not what we're supposed to do with that. So it says, Now after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And uh, I'm out of time here, but let me quickly tell you what's going on right here. This is showing, uh, I, I believe what we could say here, the position that Jesus uh, is now ascending to, you could say. And we see this over and over. So it mentions how he ascends up into heaven and he sat on the right hand of God. Alright? So let me show you some. I'm just going to read these verses. You don't have to turn there. Hebrews 1.3 says, Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's a reference to the position that he now holds. Jesus Christ. This man, Jesus Christ, who came to earth, who was born of a virgin, who died. This man, you know what he did in his flesh after he purged our sins? You know what he did? He achieved the status of being seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ... He is dwelling in that light that we can't even approach to. That the Bible talks about. That's what He ascended to. That's what Jesus Christ accomplished. We see in verse 13 of Hebrews 1, But to which of the angels said He at any time, Sit on My right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Jesus is going to be seated at the right hand of God until God makes His enemies His footstool. That's what's next. That's the next thing. for Right now, Jesus Christ position in heaven is one where he is seated at the right hand of God. But one of these days, God's going to make his enemies his footstool. That's going to take place after God pours his wrath out in this earth and Jesus returns at Armageddon and then the earth's his footstool. He's the boss. He's in charge. It's all going to be done his way. I'm looking forward to that. That's what's next. Okay, now keep this in mind. Hebrews 8, 1. Now of the things which have spoken in the sum, we have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of His majesty in the heavens. So that's mentioned again. That's who our high priest is. Hebrews 10, 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. This is what we're waiting for. Okay? We're waiting. And notice how every time it mentions this, it talks about how he is seated on the right hand of the Father until he makes his enemies his footstool. Uh, this is also mentioned in Hebrews 12, 2, uh, and then in 1 Peter 3, 22, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Okay? Now, speculation, right? I'm speculating. Okay? I'm not preaching Bible to you right now. I'm speculating. But let me just throw this out there. This is just kind of a theory that's out there. And I think it's a good theory. But Acts 7, 56, when Stephen is being stoned, Notice what it says. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Now, this could be something that was literally happening at that moment where Jesus was getting ready to come back and make the earth His footstool. Some people teach that this was actually the end of Daniel's 70th week here. And this is what sealed the fate for Israel. First, they rejected God in the Old Testament. They rejected Jesus Christ there in the Gospels. And then in the book of Acts, they rejected the Holy Ghost at the preaching of Stephen. And Jesus was standing there ready to receive Him. They, did, they turned Him down. There, there's a lot of different theories. The Bible doesn't tell us. okay? But, at the same time, 
Could he have been ready to come back and make his enemies his footstool and decided not to? Or, here's another theory too, could Stephen have been seeing something in the future? Something prophetic? Because think about it, when Jesus Christ returns, one of the things that He is going to do is He is going to take all those, the Jews, like we see in the story that were stoning Stephen, that would not that I should reign over them and slay them before me. When Jesus Christ comes back, He's going to deal with these people. And so maybe what Stephen was seeing here was something prophetic in the future because one of these days Jesus is going to get up from that throne and He's going to come back and it's not going to be pretty for the world when that happens. And, you know, but at, at the same time too, maybe Stephen stopped something here because what did he say? Lord, lay not the sin to their charge. Maybe God was getting ready right then to come. I, I don't know. Okay. At, at the same time, I'm, I say all that to just say, we see over and over again how Jesus' position is seated at the right hand of the Father till, until He makes His enemies His footstool. And that just seemed like it would have been a good time to just come and take care of those people. And he didn't do it. Maybe it was because of the prayer of Stephen. Interestingly enough, after Stephen says that prayer, we see Saul of Tarsus mentioned, who is consenting unto the death of Stephen. Then we see God end up saving Saul, who is the main instrument used to get the Gospel to the Gentiles. I'm going to tell you, I do believe there was something majorly significant at the death of Stephen. I don't pretend to fully understand it. There's a lot of good theories. These are things we could talk about that are, that are interesting. At the end of the day, here's what we do know. One of these days, Jesus is coming back and He's going to make His enemies His footstool. And I can't wait, to, I can't wait till that day comes. So verse 20, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the Word with signs following Amen. So right there, basically verse 20, it's the book of Acts summed up in one, one verse. They went and they did it. You know, and, and in Acts, it gives us a lot more detail, thankfully. And that first generation did. They went and they turned the world upside down. And we are here today because of what they did. Because of the work that was started then. Because they, they did follow that great commission and you know what? If they didn't get people saved, if they didn't establish churches and do all that they did to preserve the doctrine and the Scriptures, we would not be here today. And we are a continuation of that work. We are... When we, when we look at that group there, we need to see ourselves. What God gave them to do is what we are doing as Liberty Baptist Church. And we need to keep it up. We need to keep going until Jesus Christ returns. And so let's pray. Dear Lord... Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the Gospel of Mark and just all the wonderful things that we've uh, seen through this. And dear Lord, I just pray that this message will just encourage hearts and we'll just be more excited about your return, Lord. We're looking forward to that day. In your name we pray. Amen. For our last time tonight.